change. It's the only constant in every aspect of our lives, be it how we work, how we live, how we learn. It forces us to make the right decisions without the choice of looking back at history and conventions to know what's right. I am Vikram Baskaran, and this is Charge B's Champions of Change podcast, where we talk to changemakers who walk before us, build businesses on first principles, and unearth their tips and tricks to identify change and turn that into opportunity. Remember, you're just one decision away from being a change maker. I'm going to jump right in. Startups are crazy. You need to figure out your product. You need to figure out your market, your value prop, your growth engines, your core team. And then, of course, once you get all of those things in order, you inch towards the next phase of the journey. You inch towards being a scale-up. And that's when it gets infinitely more crazy because playing the scale-up game is hard, even on a good day. You need to refine and fine-tune your investments, make intelligent bets. And unlike in your early days when it's five friends and a pizza, the scale here is magnificent. So that's on a good day. Now, though, the situation's a little different. We have a recession looming large. There's talks of capital being limited. The SaaS funding scene is getting quieter. Companies are advised to suddenly shift gears from growth, growth, growth to get more prudent regarding investments, ensure you have liquidity to ride out the storm. And we've been thinking, how does change how we look at hypergrowth? So today we're talking to someone who's lived and breathed growth challenges I think, I think almost forever. <laughs> I don't know about forever, but yeah, long time. <laughs> we have with us Scale-Up Addict, a board dot member at Chargebee, a good friend. So let's welcome Shelly Perry, CEO and Managing Director of Scale Logics, a venture studio focused on guiding scale-up founders and leaders to navigate their growth space. So here we are, Shelly, and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Always uh, exciting to be supporting any kind of content that Chargebee is giving out and have a lot of time for Chargebee. So this is great. We'll jump right in. You know, there's this quote about how all happy families are alike, but every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. I think that's kind of true of financial crises and uh, recessions as well in that yeah, good times are kind of similar, but every bad time has its own unique flavor to it. So before we talk about how this crisis is similar to all the previous crises and the playbooks that have worked in the past, from your perspective, how is the situation today different from what we've seen before? I've been thinking about this, trying to transport myself back to 2008 and to earlier when I, in 1997, when we've gone through different things. And I think some of the big differences are the speed at which information is updating people. In 2008, which I actually Googled just to get my mind, like technology advancements in 2008, right? Just so I could get my head around it. Android was announced. 3G was announced that year. The App Store was announced that year. And it's just, you think about this because most of us, I even forget, I work in technology and I forget kind of how fast you know, technology changes. And the last major recession that we had, most people, especially in the United States, they really didn't have smartphones. Even outside of the US, the texting was much more prevalent than in the US. And so information is just getting out faster and that allows people to react faster. The other thing that's different is over the last three or four years, one of the explosions of categories has been all of this online learning. The ability to 
upskill yourself or to find out how to do something different is so readily available. And that was not available in the prior recessions. So I think those two advances, just everyone getting access to more information faster and the ability to upskill yourself in different areas, really with your computer and of course, having the time, I think is going to have a massive impact to the difference in the last recessions. And now I'm going to kind of come back to the question I should have probably started with, which is the similarities. I'm sure most people listening into this call were born in the light, right? They were born in the beautiful days where everything was about growth, where almost by 2009, 2010, capital was great. We've seen 10 years of investors being very bullish in general. And that kind of has some brilliant first and second order effects. Now, given where we are, what are some of the learnings that you've seen? And first off, you have seen a couple of these cycles before, and you've seen these cycles from various lenses again. So what are some of the learnings that you've seen from these? What happens when things go bad? And how can we use that to navigate where we are today? I think that first, I love a good challenge. And I think that even high growth is a challenge, right? It's a stress. And now we look at this, if we take a situation and say this recession is bad versus saying there's opportunities in everything. One of the things we can take from learnings from the past is that when you're not growing as fast, you can upskill yourself. One of the things that happens is that companies grow faster than it has been happening the past decade anyway, that companies grow faster than the people. And what was happening is a lot of people were getting pushed out of those leadership positions as the companies were scaling. And it wasn't because they were bad. It was just because they weren't growing as fast as the company was growing. I think with the slowdown, it gives people a chance to grow in their career in the pace that the company grows. So I think there's a massive opportunity there for people who have started companies in the last few years to grow with the company. The other thing is to understand the challenges that your customers have. And I know we talk about customers and customer centricity, but we come up with these ideas of things we want to sell them. But in the end, you you have to really understand your core customers. And then it may even be divesting of certain products or divesting of certain businesses to allow you to really focus on that core customer segment, because they're going to remember that you've helped them during their tough times And they're going to ride with you as it gets good as well. I think that's what we can learn from the prior recession periods or down markets is there's opportunity in all of this. We have to change our lens and we have to slow down to speed up. We actually have to have much higher precision on what we focus on versus kind of having abundance and being able to kind of waste a little bit of the resources. So I think that's what we can learn from the last recessions and not look at it so much as doom and gloom, but an opportunity because it certainly is an opportunity. I think that's definitely true. I mean, I think we can all talk about the brilliant startups that came out of the previous recession that have almost come to define the market today. And, you know, in tough times, if you're starting up in tough times, that's great because you have visibility into interesting opportunities. Again, if you're the big guy in tough times, that's interesting again because you can take a punch or two. You have capital, you have established practices. But again, when we talk about the scale-up, that's the companies that are kind of stuck in the middle where they've just seen 
they've gone through that initial definition of product market fitment. And they're like, all right, so we know our product, we know our market, we know where we're going, we know our acquisition machines. Now let's go scale up. And today they're like, oops, our funds are limited. Our runways are probably getting cut short. How does this particularly impact those that the people in that messy middle? I think that one of the, I'm smiling because I'm going to give an analogy. You said before we kicked off, you know, that you recently had your first child and, you know, you look a little tired. So you won't relate to this yet, but you will relate to this. We often call the messy middle really those kind of tween years or teenage years. So I think anywhere when kids or around kids are like that. So when you're in those tween years, especially the beginning of those tween years, you might take someone who's either maybe 10 or 11 or 12 or somewhere in that age. And sometimes they want to be a child and sometimes they want to be an adult. And I think that the best way that I can give an analogy is that as you're scaling up, you have to kind of spend a little bit more time being the child, develop some things, a little bit less time being the adult. And during the last decade of boom, we pushed you and said, be an adult, be an adult, right? Be that latchkey kid, whatever that is, as fast as possible. And now really kind of think about it as stepping back and really maturing some of those childhood things to kind of be a better adult. And that is one of the best ways that I can describe it is I think that depending on where you were in that scale-up cycle and your funding cycle, it may just mean if you're early in there and you were closer to being a startup, if you will, and I just mean very scrappy and kind of understanding all of the trade-offs, you're probably just do more of the same. But if you were in the cycle of you were growing fast and then you got a lot of funding, you actually have to kind of step back and there's a little bit, a bigger change to kind of step back. Now, most of the people that were there during you know the ramp up, they're going to be like, oh, now it's back to what I know and they're going to be able to kind of grow with it. But I think the ones that kind of caught you know, a little bit closer to the teenage years, and it's harder to go back to develop those things that we didn't develop. I think those are the ones that are going to have the biggest impact. But that's the best analogy. I hope that helps. But it is, you kind of go back, mature a little bit. It gives you time to mature, but it also gives you time to really nail your core customer and what your core customer profile needs now and to ride out these times. Because what you're going to do is you're going to be developing things for that core customer. They're going to be buying it. You're going to have a little bit more of add-on sales. But what it's going to do is give you a whole lot of products to sell when things start to pick up versus before it was sell, 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 smaller things, new logos, and then wrap back and sell them other things. You can still grow, but it's about getting very tight on your core customer and your core value and helping those customers ride through their businesses through the recession. That's very interesting. And now I'm going to ask you something that's probably a, a personal story between us, yeah. right? <laughs> Most folks right now, uh, the broader outside in perspective, the space is, you know what, we've, we've been talking about grow, grow, grow. We've been talking about let's go hyper-invest all these years. And now suddenly there's a, there's a shift into, into efficiency, into being accountable. But you've always policed us, right? Like as a board member, <laughs> we've made sure that we were obsessed with data. We had the operational rigor in place. I remember you coming in into the room with data, data, data. So what's a few takeaways that other organizations that haven't been blessed with your magic touch 
can take away in terms of operational rigor and understanding that they need to look at what's happening in their business today. The great thing about scale-up is the maturity of a startup. And a startup, by its nature, is offering something that hadn't been offered before. And as you're scaling, you're still offering something that hasn't been offered before. So all of us can make our best guesses. We can make our best educational guesses on what the historic data is telling us, what the market's telling us. But in the end, we cannot predict what we don't know. And I always want a scale-up to look at the data because it's confirmation of the hypothesis they made for where they were going to put their resources. And we don't get it right. We cannot get it right. We are doing something new. We can get 80% of it right. We can get 75% of it right or 50. But it's the ability of that scale to quickly look at that information and make adjustments, micro adjustments, not massive adjustments, but micro adjustments to adjust for what we didn't know. During startup, the founder or the founding team is doing that. They're processing information, they're consuming it, and they can hold the information in their head because it's not as big. So their brains are big and their passion is strong and they can hold that information. The issue is, is when you start to scale up, you want that same ability to very quickly look at the information, adjust and react, but you can't hold all of it in your head. So it's that ability to really look at the data and then make those decisions like you would as a startup. And that is what I spent a lot of time in the early days of Chargerbeast Growth, really making sure that you guys stayed on top of that. While it was painful at the time for some of those meetings, I do think it paid off. I loved it. I loved it in in hindsight. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I hated it when it was happening. You can say that now. In hindsight, yeah. But Shelly, what are some of the questions that you find yourself asking your portfolio companies repeatedly these days? Do you notice yourself asking a specific type of question these days a lot more? I think the first thing I ask any of the companies that I'm working with is if during the Q3 board cycle or the Q2 board cycle that happened in Q3, when the beginning of the year, you know, there were signs, but it was kind of like the you know early days of 2020, we thought the pandemic was coming, but then, you know, it hit very heavily in March. And and really this market cycle has been like that as well. So if they didn't have some significant change in either that they said, we're staying the course because of this, this, and this, or we're paring down or we're doing this, if they didn't come to the last board cycle with that, I found myself saying, did you look at the market? How is the market affecting where you are? Now, not every company is going to be affected by this, especially those that were kind of earlier in their cycle of growth and their funding because it's a normal kind of growth cycle. So not every company has been affected, but every company should be looking at it and saying whether or not they've been affected and what they've done with the information and, and making that confirmation. So that's one. Most companies did come with some type of an adjustment. Those that have many more investors on their board or have an investor partner, they were helping them kind of through this. It's the ones that maybe don't have an investor partner or an operating partner to kind of help them maneuver through that that didn't. In one of our previous conversations, you spoke about a scale-up being like pieces of a puzzle and the challenge being in which order you actually put these pieces. Have you noticed any of these pieces changing now? For example, where you make your product investments or where you make your, I don't know, your marketing or sales investments? Has anything changed in the pieces of the puzzle right now? 
I think that during the kind of, I'm called a boom, right? The boom that lasted <laughs> for 12 to 14 years. When you're growing so fast, every department or every functional area is growing so fast. And one of the things that you don't do is necessarily, you do some coordination on making sure that they're kind of all working on the right things, but they're growing so fast that marketing doesn't have a lot of time to kind of really understand what product is doing because product sometimes is way ahead of marketing and sales sometimes certainly doesn't know what product's doing until you know next year. And you're just growing fast and you just don't have the bandwidth to know what's happening in the departments at the detail level. And the difference with this, and especially in SaaS, and most of this relates to SaaS, is that everything is interconnected. And the SaaS is not a technology, it's a business model. And it's hyper-connected. So all of the functions are actually wrapped around this kind of core kind of heartbeat, if you will. And when times of stress, or if you understand how all of those pieces work together, those are the puzzle pieces. And I think as we're growing fast, unless you've worked through a couple of cycles, unless you've worked through kind of turnarounds and SaaS, it's hard to really know like when this happens, right, the heart slows down because it's really hard to see when you're in the middle of it. I fortunately been doing this for a lot of years and also had the opportunity to work with a great investment firm and saw hundreds and hundreds of these patterns at scale, but they're really hyper-connected and it's hard to see. So I think one of the things that the companies that are going to do well through the recession during the scale-up stage of growth is understanding a little bit more, if I tweak this, what happens over here? And that's going to give you the competitive advantage. So understanding that and prioritizing and understanding those trade-offs is going to be important. In the past, there was enough cash that you would eventually catch up. So if I moved here and you know I wasn't able to keep up with the race, like eventually I'd get to the race because there was enough people along the side giving me water. And there's maybe not as many people giving you water. So you got to pace yourself really tight across the departments. And that is the puzzle. And that's also why you need a lot of data. And it's not just data that you need. It's the ability to have the difficult conversations. In times of stress, we can walk into a meeting and go, all right, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And we go, okay, right? I don't care. I'm ever growing. But in times of trade-offs, let's call it trade-offs, you have to also learn to have those conversations in a way that everyone feels involved and at a pace that everyone also doesn't need to know all of the details. I think that's where most of the executives that are in their own kind of child to adult growth stage need to learn how to do. Because in times of stress, you just don't have to have those, I don't say difficult conversations, it's constructive conversations that are about making difficult trade-offs. They help your business grow, but you have to have those conversations. And I don't know that everyone's used to that or knows how to facilitate those conversations. I love it. And by the way, this is completely not an advertisement, but that heartbeat inside every SaaS, I guess, is recurring subscriptions. And Josh, does a great job. <laughs> it certainly is. It certainly is part of it, right? You are the company you're presenting to the customer from the moment they start with the product to even how they're paying for it and experiencing it. The SaaS business, the software that you're selling is not separated from the internal operations. That's actually why they're so profitable and why they can move so fast. But it also means you have to be 
tightly connected and understanding the trade-offs in terms of just keeping it in shape. That's the hardest part during the recession is you have to, it's like my, I have my watch on, right? And I'm watching like, did I eat? How many steps did I do, right? Oh, why do I have a headache, right? All of that is getting data and information and I'm making minor tweaks. That is how I talk to myself and sometimes I argue with myself, but there you go. But that is how you have to ride out the recession and come out the other end very, very strong. And I'm hoping that more scale-ups kind of understand how to do that and understand that it's it's really a big opportunity for both employees to grow because you have a little bit more time to grow and to understand and learn how it all comes together. And that brings us to the close of this podcast, Shelly. But I have one more question for you. If there's one question every scale-up executive can take back and kind of question their own business on to help them readjust and realign today, what could that possibly be? In order for you to make room for something new, you have to let go. So much of the focus on you know the news and everything else is this company's downsized this many positions, this company's downsized that many positions. What they really should be talking about is what business area did they divest of? Because it's not just people. You're not just saying, go and lay off a bunch of individuals. You're saying, I am going to focus on the core of my business or I'm going to divest of something so I can take the opportunity to build something that is actually recession-proof because maybe the things I was building weren't recession-proof. So it's what am I going to give up in order to do the next thing? The market has changed so significantly that if you've not asked that question, and given up something. And I don't mean people, I mean lines of business or new products you were building or acquisitions you were going to make, whatever that is, it's a line of business. If you haven't questioned yourself for that because you were prepping it for this high growth, then I would say, go back and really ask that question. I love that. And I think just calling it the market or the time of trade-off really shifts the focus because you're now asking, okay, what am I choosing to not do? And what's the limitation? Even if it's not cash, even if you have a 24, 36 month runway, there's a limitation in terms of time, limitations in terms of customer confidence. And this kind of shift from a thought process of plenty to a thought process of, hey, you know what? We're in the time of trade-off. So we need to make sure that the existing systems, the existing operational machines that we have are working at complete efficiency are talking to each other, are actually sharing data. I love that thought. I think that there's a different lens I just want to share to think about. It's, yes, you need to get more efficient internally. There is a different lens that you want to look at as well. And that is, you may put some things aside, but it doesn't mean you're never going to do them. It means you'll do them in the future. And when the funding was so prevalent, you had to move fast because competitors could have built something in the space where you were going. Funding was happening so much that you had to race to make sure that you could get that market share for the adjacency you were trying to build. Well, everyone is slowing down, which means you may not have to race that fast to get that market share. doesn't mean you have to give it up forever. It means you might not be doing it now. And by not reaching for it now allows you to strengthen your current core product, you'll probably get there faster and you don't have to worry about so much speed of 
competitors going there. It's not the case for every sector or every solution. So you have to pay attention. But really, that's what it is, is that everyone's slowing down. So no one's racing to grab it so fast. So everyone's slowing down. And it allows those companies that say, okay, I'm not going to build this way over here. I'm going to actually pour some more resource into the core. I'm going to have the customers who I can service really well, have a strong solution to have them write out the recession. And then I'll go back to finishing this. It's the companies that say, I'm going to keep building this and trying to do this that end up running out of resource. And then they can't ever get to this. And that's really the way to think about it. Exactly. So laying out the puzzle pieces as you win and making a conscious choice of what do I want to play and what do I want to not play right now and choose to come back to later. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. And I think that's very interesting for sure. In fact, I just get reminded of this Joel Spolsky's strategy letters on the Amazon versus Ben and Jerry model. I think he wrote, he wrote this in 2000, right? That's 22 years ago. And I think the story is still relevant today as it is back then, except now where like every scale up needs to be thinking as an Amazon share, because we still want growth. We still want all of those beautiful things at the other end, but you also need to think of efficiency like a Ben and Jerry's. Yes. And with SaaS, they're closer. I was producing ice cream, so I have machines over here, but I might have had different things I was doing for efficiency. In SaaS, a lot of your internal efficiency is actually quite tied to some things with your product. So you can do some very interesting things. This was awesome, Shelly. As usual, I loved it. As usual, there was a whole bunch of things that we learned completely new out of this conversation. So thank you so much for your time. This was crazy fun. Yes, thank you. And congrats again on your family expanding. So talk to you soon. 